0: 你走到巴西去最好。新加坡也是很近的。this is
1: Nicole reporting from Sao Paulo. Um it's day 30 here, so almost a month which is crazy. In day 28 of quarantine. I arrived in Sao Paulo on March 10th and had about two kind of normal days with my family, going around the city a bit and meeting family for big dinners and lunches. And then there was a case found in the apartment complex here and my grandparents being 83 and 84, we quarantined very quickly. So So the trip has changed and the food that I'm encountering has changed. But it's been really interesting to be in sort of a very, very stringent daily routine. Our meals kind of feel more important than ever in that they structure our days and, and they give my grandparents, I think, things to look forward to and prepare for since, you know, they, they're they a bit restless, as am I. But I think, you know, I have the internet to keep me busy and and books and things like that. But. For my grandparents, things are quite limited and so I think that meals especially and feeding me <laughs> have kind of given them some sort of balance through this month. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting. In
2: of- Hi everyone, this is Hetty McKinnon and welcome back to The House Specials. On today's episode, I'm handing the mic over to Nicole Chan. You might remember Nicole from our first episode. If you haven't listened to that yet, hit pause and head back there now. In part one, we spoke with Nicole on the eve of her pilgrimage to Brazil, where she was going to spend a couple of months with her grandparents to learn about her family's journey from Hong Kong to Brazil. But when she got there, her plans changed. So in this episode, Scenes from a Quarantine, I'll let Nicole take it from here.
1: In the mornings, I've been waking up later and later. This is a bad habit of watching movies until three in the morning and blinds that actually work, so it's quite dark. And so I wake up around around ten, which means that my grandparents have been up since seven. So their breakfast is usually consisted of, I'm pretty sure, milk, coffee like lattes and then basically ham and cheese on a baguette or actually ham and cheese baguettes if we have it um, which is like Brazilian baguette which is specific to the bakeries here or on these hot dog buns that they actually like quite a bit which are just basically normal hot dog buns but my grandfather because he has dentures the softness of things is really important and so I think the hot dog buns are kind of the perfect texture for him to eat every morning. So they usually have breakfast together and my grandfather takes a long time to eat which has been a running joke throughout the entire month because it takes me about 20 minutes to eat something that'll take him about an hour and a half. Um, So they wake up, they eat that and then I wake up and I, in being in a sort of like New York way of thinking my whole life, I sort of wake up and I, I don't eat anything until around noon which is horrifying to my grandparents. I usually just have my coffee on my way to work, work until I'm starving, and then eat with whatever 20 minutes I have to eat. So being that I wake up here and the first thing they want to do in the morning is feed me, I've kind of gotten into a routine of waking up, stretching, doing yoga, working out a little bit, and then making coffee and having fruit with yogurt and granola which I don't think they see as sufficient enough, but since lunch is only a couple hours after that, it's, it's hard for me to eat too much more. And it's also a tricky balance of knowing when to tell them you really like something. So I love ham and cheese sandwiches and paninis and you know, wish I could eat them every day for breakfast, but they're a little too heavy for me and I, I actually made a schedule with them that I only eat them on weekends. I notice that if I say that I love something, it means that they're going to make it every morning because that's just how caring they are and, you know, how much they want to do that for me. Lunch is usually a mixture of things. My grandma makes the best pork and ginger. Now I've been witness to her the the days when she sits down to do this, which is that the ginger takes two hours to chop because it requires her to peel it then dice it into these tiny tiny slivers that she then has to do the same thing to the pork and she makes a huge batch every like I want to say week or so, maybe week and a half because then it gets dispensed to the rest of my family in different Tupperwares This knife must
0: be Mm. How mm. so, you um
1: That's usually something that is always served with some sort of vegetable. Like, usually it's broccoli. And then occasionally I've been buying zucchini and eggplant. Eggplant has been very exciting for my grandmother because she doesn't usually cook it. And I got to go to the Korean supermarket here and they had oyster sauce. And so I brought that back and we've been stir frying things with it, which I think she's definitely always eats in restaurants, but I don't think she's ever done it at home. So lunch is usually, you know, rice with something like pork and ginger and vegetables, or my aunt will drop off um, Brazilian beans and we'll eat it with that. Um, Actually, one of my favorite things to eat here is exactly that. Rice, beans, ginger, pork, and broccoli. I would shoot it, but it doesn't look very good in a bowl. (laughs) It's kind of all like mixed together. But yeah, that's been another kind of interesting thing about being here is that I've kind of been able to provide or add things into their diet that they normally won't make. So as much as I like rice and ginger pork every day, I do miss pasta and cheese and hot sauce and spicy noodles. But it's been fun because then I I go to the grocery store and I pick out a couple of things that I really like. And kind of test the waters to see if they'll like it. Now I know my grandfather really likes Tabasco. But I've been able to cook for them. And and they think it's kind of funny. I think for them I'm in a perpetual state of, I think, infancy. And not being able to cook for myself and things like that. So they're always kind of shocked that I can hard boil an egg. Or make a meal and feed them, really. So... Yeah, it's been sweet to kind of trade off cooking um habits and I'm learning a lot about my grandparents and what their kitchen setup is like. Um they didn't have olive oil before I got here. They only had canola oil and sesame oil. So that was another addition. Just small things like that in their in their pantry and kitchen, no butter, so much garlic, garlic and everything. And so I slowly started to realize what I could and couldn't cook and I've been buying canned tuna and things that make me feel closer to home, like my home in my kitchen. But there's also a very specific amount of respect that occurs at every meal because I'm in their home and they're my grandparents and they go through a lot of effort to cook for me. So I can't refuse things. I can set limitations but I can't outright refuse <laughs> um, which I'm sure people find with a lot of their grandparents. So servings and they make a little bit too much and we're very limited on moving here so I'm, I'm aware of how much I want to be eating but it's hard to refuse them so luckily it's not a very heavy diet but they do, we do eat a lot and they, and they think I should be eating probably six times what I do eat.
2: We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by California Olive Ranch. Discovery starts in the bottle. Extra virgin olive oil for every dish, every meal, and every cuisine. Some of my non-negotiables in the kitchen. Good olive oil and za'atar. A simple snack when I'm working from home is a dollop of Greek yogurt, drizzled with extra virgin olive oil, and sprinkled with za'atar. Add some bread or crackers and you're good to go. Okay, now back to our conversation.
1: So for dinner, it's... Some of the same, but they'll add salmon and soy sauce and other dishes like that. And my grandfather and grandmother have a really unique relationship in the kitchen, which is that my grandfather often says that he only eats food, he can't make it. And that, and that my grandmother's an excellent cook and he doesn't know how to do anything in the kitchen. So he kind of makes up for it in that he always does the dishes at night so that my grandmother can watch TV with me. And he always makes the milk and brings it to her. And sort of these like small things, sometimes he preps the water with the lime in it so that she can come over and have the vegetables be clean before she cooks. He puts away all the food, he heats up the food. Small things like that, things that I feel like are in the middle of her cooking to help her prep dinner or prep dishes because he knows that he can't do the actual cooking. But yeah. The dinner table has but definitely been on certain nights where kind of the most illuminating things about my family history come out just naturally because I think they, they're very willing to tell me.
0: Mm, mm. 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 Mm.
1: Mm. On my second day in Sao Paulo, my grandfather, while we were still kind of out and about, he took me on the subway, which he's not supposed to do, but he took me on the subway to go to the specific supermarket in Piñeros and... While we were going there, he showed me the two first apartments that my family lived in when they immigrated to Brazil. One is now above a McDonald's, and then the other one was in a square not that far away, where my dad would play in the square and my grandmother would shout um, at him from the third floor. And it was also where they worked. It was where they set up this factory. And these are very, like, main areas. They feel, like, very main, like central areas in this in these neighborhoods there where the subway stations are and a lot of stores and gas stations and lots of people walking around and so from there we walked to a supermarket and this specific place that my grandfather buys produce at and then we went and had lunch where we had the fish of the day and the people knew my grandfather and um yeah it was sort of the willingness to kind of show the family history it's it's really beautiful and I wish there was more time and space and liberty to go see these places in more detail because my grandparents do want to talk a lot Um, but at the dinner table there's been lots of conversations around life in Hong Kong before they immigrated and then the sort of journey that they took from Hong Kong to Brazil how much money they paid, which was $1,000 each um, my my father was two and or one and a half, and my his younger brother was only five months. Eventually, they would have another child here, and get their kids into a private school. And it's starting to expand a bit more. And I'm starting to understand how other f- parts of the family ended up being here too. On my first day in São Paulo, we stopped by a Chinese restaurant that is owned by, I believe, my grandmother's older sister's daughter. And the building that it that it's in, and it's, it's this very basic Chinese restaurant where all these local Brazilians are eating at, is very similar to sort of like a buffet-line lunch spot where there's sweet and sour chicken and fried rice and egg rolls. And there's all these people that are eating there just sort of on their lunch breaks and... The people in the kitchen seemed like they were Brazilian, but the owners are Chinese. And she, I don't think she knew who I was really, but she gave me this pack of peanuts to give to my grandmother. But there's a lot of history here of other family members that my grandmother then helped to come over to Brazil to kind of build a slightly larger network here. I mean, just a couple days ago, we were stopping in in k-town and my uncle opened the trunk and my grandmother's older sister's daughter just came and put all this food in it for us things that we didn't like we had enough of but she was like just take it just take it and a week from then she then rang the doorbell and had left all this food and toilet paper and masks um sort of the beauty in that sort of exchange shows just how far my family has come here. You're a
0: good person. I'm a 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 you i am i i i 那是你的钱 no, Ah,
2: (laughs) 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 That's it for season two of the house specials. I'm sure you'll agree we have met some incredible women who redefine what it means to be an immigrant. We hope you have found solace, connection, and most of all, hope in their stories. As immigrants, and as the children of immigrants, we must continually strive to find our place in the world, to find our own truths, and to force the world to see us in the way we want to be seen. I've struggled with this my whole life, and I can tell you, it's not easy. But we hope in sharing these stories, we have shown how food is a gateway to understanding disparate cultures. If you enjoyed this season, head to our website to grab a copy of Issue 6 of Peddler Journal, The Immigrant Issue, where we explore these stories and more. This episode was produced and edited by Shirley Kai. Our theme song is Moonlight Melody by Scout McKinnon, with additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm your host, Hedy McKinnon, and this is The House Specials. Until next time. This episode is brought to you by California Olive Ranch. Discovery starts in the bottle. Extra virgin olive oil for every dish, every meal, and every cuisine. And here's a quick recipe for today. Fried rice is my ultimate comfort food. My mother made it for breakfast often. Nowadays, I make many versions of fried rice for my family. I was recently excited to learn of a dish called Thai olive fried rice. The original recipe is made with Chinese salted black olives, but I just use marinated black olives, and of course, amplify the flavor with California olive ranch extra virgin olive oil. You might want to write this recipe down. I'll wait for you to grab a pen and paper. Okay, got it? Let's begin. Add a good drizzle of olive oil to a large wok or skillet. Scramble two large eggs and then set these aside. Add more olive oil and a small sliced onion. And when those are tender, add a couple cloves of chopped garlic, four cups of cold rice, and a good handful of pitted black olives. Oh, and another drizzle of olive oil. Add the egg back into the rice and stir until hot and crispy in parts. I highly recommend topping with fresh cilantro leaves, cashews, sliced cucumber, scallions, red chilies, and a wedge of lime or lemon on the side is nice too.